No one leaves home unless their home is the mouth of a shark. This quote by Warson Shire is about being a refugee and leaving somewhere dangerous in the hope of arriving somewhere safer. That 11 million Syrians have become refugees since 2011 perhaps gives you some idea of the size of the particular shark that they fled. This is a podcast about community, but the current government in Syria is one that denies people the possibility of gathering as a community to discuss politics and society and ways to improve both of these things. So for those who left Syria to places where they can have these conversations, what's it been like? There was something very exciting about it. I'd always longed for this kind of opportunity to be able to sit with people and and talk freely without kind of worrying that something is going to happen to me or that the security services are going to come and arrest me for just gathering with friends and talking politics. That's the voice of Mustafa Alachkar. He's a Syrian from Aleppo who's now a psychiatrist in Manchester in the UK. And Mustafa helps run the Rethink Rebuild Society. This is a Syrian group in Manchester that helps their fellow refugees to build a new community so they can become positively established in UK society and have conversations together about the future of the country that they left behind. I'm Jake Lloyd and in this episode of the Eureka Network podcast, Mustafa will share with us the story of this pioneering Syrian community group. But first of all, he told me how he went from living in the northwest of Syria to the northwest of England. Yeah, so I uh, came to the UK in 2005 after completing my medical uh, degree. I went to medical school in Aleppo in Syria, qualified in 2003, and then I came over in 2005. And I guess at the time it felt like uh, maybe going abroad, especially to Europe or to America, was kind of everybody's dream. Everybody who had a bit of education in Syria, probably everybody, a lot of people in Syria, wanted to go to Britain or to America or just experience what it's like to live in one of these countries and what potential it might open up for you that you don't or did not have in in Syria. So that's how the idea came about. Certainly for a doctor, you get a lot better chance of getting decent training, of actually feeling like you're doing a good job, you're making a difference to people's lives and getting good training as a doctor in in Britain. The chance of that is much better in Britain than in Syria. Obviously things might look differently at the moment in terms of where people should be and what they should do as doctors and whether they should go back and support people in Syria and help them. That's a different question, I guess. Yeah. So, you, so you've, you were in Manchester before, what, I mean, before the revolution began. So you've seen an influx of Syrians into the UK and into Manchester. Do you want to describe, describe what, what that's been like? Did you know Syrians in Manchester before all this began? So I knew a few Syrians, maybe like family, friends uh, in Manchester and in the northwest before uh, 2011. And then it I think it took a while before we started to see them coming. So they didn't come straight kind of in 2011 or 12 or 13. I think it was maybe from 2014 onwards that we started to see, like you say, big groups of people coming to Manchester. Interesting because Manchester officially didn't take Uh, any of the refugees who came through the vulnerable person uh, scheme that the government has uh, set up for Syrian refugees from uh, neighbouring countries. But I think one of the reasons is Manchester already was seeing a lot of 
people coming from Syria and neighboring countries to settle here. And I think Manchester has has had one of the biggest Syrian population in the UK even before 2011. So a lot of people who came in the second wave, if you like, after 2011, either knew uh, relatives there or at least knew that Manchester is a good place to be <laughs> as a Syrian person. So, yeah. So tell us how the Rethink Rebuild Society came about. Yes, I, I had the pleasure of really witnessing that inception, if you like, of, of this organization, which I'm very proud of, by the way, and I feel I belong to it in a very emotional way. It gives you a sense of connection to your fellow Syrians here, but also to a wider community of people who stand for something meaningful, which we can talk a bit more about in a minute. But so, yeah, so Rethink Rebuild really started from a small group and when i say small i'm talking about two or three or four people uh syrians who had lived in syria in uh, manchester and in the uk in general for for a number of years a lot of them were uh, higher education students who were doing their phds at the time or something like that and obviously they had been activists of some sort in syria but then they left the country because of the persecution of activists and the um prohibition i guess of any types of of activism or political activity in syria so they left uh, and then they um, came to britain so when the the revolution started uh, those people started to kind of think what can we do to support from our end from britain from manchester what can we do to support what is going on in syria and when i when, when i talk about what's going on in syria i mean the especially the peaceful protest the um, what people kind of started to um take to the street and demand um, freedom and human rights and democracy so we we started to to do something similar here by i guess um doing some candle light vigils uh doing little protests here and there uh, telling people what's going on in syria really kind of informing the public about uh, what we think is going on and how this is part of the arab spring and this is something that everybody should stand by and support really so gradually what started off as very little activities here and there started to kind of become more organized and uh, we then had the organization we had rethink rebuild uh, society which has gradually got a lot bigger and we have now become the biggest uh, organization that's kind of concerned with the syrian people in the uk and probably in europe I'd, I'm not aware of any similar organization of the in terms of the size, in terms of the impact, in terms of the range of the things that we do uh, across the UK. Really, I'm not aware of any similar organization in the whole of Europe. And I think that's something to be proud of in terms of, like I said, a few people getting together who have come from environments in Syria where we had very little even experience or, or um, culture of organizing ourselves, of free thinking and free activism there was no space for that whatsoever and to be able to do something that then even our western audience here kind of say well how how do you manage to do this you know this is and we provide if you like high quality work activities um, different things that we do here that hopefully and we think is having an impact on the lives of, of Syrians at least in Britain but also supporting Syrians within Syria and in neighboring countries. I'd like to ask a bit more about about the, the work of Rethink Rebuild but do you want to just tell me why you chose that name? 
it's interesting. <laughs> My friend, who is now the uh, managing director of the organization, who is a medical doctor himself, uh, I call him a double doctor because he's got a PhD as well, which is a bit uncommon with uh, medical doctors, but he, Haytham, he suggested this name to me at the time and it sounded a bit, I don't know, kind of a bit clunky and not very sexy sounding for want of a better word rethink rebuild I didn't quite like it at the time I thought I'm not sure but then I said well if, if that's what you want that's fine I'll support that and interestingly the name kind of uh, grew on me and uh, you start to like I said form some sort of a connection even to the name the sim the symbolism of the name I think and um, how it implies something about the need to rethink a lot of the um, issues that, and I'm talking on an intellectual level, a lot of the issues that have plagued Syrian society and Syrian, and, and the country and the people for, for a very long time. So we need to rethink a lot of those before we can actually rebuild the country. And that's what we have been trying to do. We, we have been pushing more and more of this rethinking agenda that we won't be able to move forward uh, in rebuilding the country unless we've really kind of opened a dialogue between different people, started to think about a lot of these issues, whether it's radicalism, whether it's extremism, the place of religion, for example, in the, in the country and in politics, the way we do politics, the way we think politics, the significance of ideas like having a leader, for example, uh, democracy, is democracy compatible with, with other kind of cultural norms that we have within Syria, the traditions we have, and uh, especially kind of thinking about those in view of our experience of living in British, in, in Britain and, and amongst a kind of British people. There's a lot, a lot of big issues there. Um, yeah. What about, you, you mentioned earlier about the, the difficulty of, of people gathering in Syria and having conversations about society or, or things like that and our network is based on people within a community coming together to address precisely those things and work together to to improve their their community and their society are, are you saying that's something that just could not or did not happen under the under the Assad regime that's right that never happened and if it did it happened behind closed doors in great secrecy you are not allowed to meet with each other to talk about anything meaningful uh, in fact with the start of the current president Bashar al-Assad's um, ruling when when he took power from his father after he died he uh, kind of a few of these forums for political thinking and discussion started to open and then within a few months uh, his security services went round and closed them all off and arrested the majority of people who were taking part in those discussion forums, if you like. We tried to do that in Syria. We were quite active in doing that as well. But again, it was all in secrecy and within small groups, really. So I guess when you come here to Britain, you want to exploit that atmosphere of being able to at least sit with a group of friends and talk politics and talk about, you know, like I say, different issues and, and have differing opinions about uh, political issues and think about what you can do to support what, what was happening in, in Syria at the time in 2011 and uh, onwards. So while it was a, a kind of a challenge for us how we sit together as, as people from different backgrounds and different ways of thinking, 
uh, we didn't know each other that much here in, in, in Britain. But it was also some, there was something very exciting about it. I'd always longed for this kind of opportunity to be able to sit with people and, and talk freely without kind of worrying that something is going to happen to me or that the security services are going to come and arrest me for just gathering with friends and, and talking politics. And I guess, you know, that's something that we do appreciate uh, about living in Britain, that um, you can, you know, you can do that. This is something we've always missed in Syria. And that's, in fact, one of the reasons why a lot of people leave Syria. And again, we're talking even before 2011, because they wanted to be able to think freely and to talk freely and not to live in fear. But of, of, of people who've come to the UK and are now free to have these kinds of conversations, do they, in your experience, do they find it difficult to, to start having them? And, and if so, how, how do you go about opening that up? This is a very interesting question, Jake, because one of the things that we did here at Rethink Rebuild is really to provide the space. I mean, there, there is an informal space where people could just walk into this center and talk and see the work we're doing and comment on it and give their feedback, if you like, and participate as well. But also there are more kind of formal ways, if you like, or organized ways that, that, that we did this, whereby, for example, we hold a group discussion, we hold a monthly seminar, we, we had people from views that are not so kind of mainstream if you like uh, to talk to us some certain intellectuals who would come and, and do a lecture or do a, a talk on something and we knew that they were going to be perhaps met with disagreement from the majority of the Syrian community here but yet we still put that on because we thought it's very important for people to hear different views and perspectives we organized, uh, like I said, group discussions where we just exchange views so that we, we can at least talk to each other and um, disagree without actually resorting to violence or sulking, without avoiding hearing the other person's view. In Syria, we only had one view. You weren't allowed to have your view or to make it heard or to, to, to express yourself. And that's why I think there isn't that culture of dialogue and open uh, discussions and simply disagreeing without thinking me thinking you're a bad person because your view is different from mine and you know hopefully i mean one, one of the things i'm very passionate about is how some of this experience that we've had in manchester with rethink rebuild can be transferred if you like to syria itself although i am hearing again from friends in syria that these things are also happening in especially in some of the countries where some of the areas where the regime has lost uh, control where this kind of groups are flourishing and starting to open with this kind of you know open discussions democratic debates and dialogues and people learning to listen to each other without killing each other basically and these are these are like sort of almost like miniature local councils that mm -hmm. people have come together to form haven't they but, um so have you been speaking to people who are involved in these yes and we and we have been in regular contact with those and there is something on the political side like you say the the local coordination councils and that has especially sprung at the start of the revol the start of the rev revolution 2011 so there is that in a kind of more formal way where they played a big role in really 
getting people together and kind of lining people you know towards this particular cause getting rid of the regime and maybe um, creating a fair and um, free society for everyone but there is also the more kind of informal groups that uh, that started even with women groups where they would sit together and discuss things and think about how they can support um there was a recent uh, round of negotiation between the opposition and the regime and a group in idlib of women actually started and they got together and they started thinking you know what can we what can we do to maybe take a message and get a message across to the negotiators in Sochi I think it was somewhere in um, in Russia to kind of advance our cause or or kind of you know put our view across to the negotiators so that they represent us as women in side Syria so these these things are happening people are become I think become less afraid of saying what they think but also become more keen on listening to each other and like I said, you know, we're hearing about all sorts of initiatives happening in in Syria between people from so many different parts of the country getting together and working together. And again, this is not something that we were familiar with in Syria before. Coming back to to Manchester and and thinking of, of refugees who who arrive here, what are their, their sort of needs and what is Rethink Rebuild been doing to, to help them settle? I think... Um, a lot of people who um, came to Manchester had this idea, this great kind of dream that, you know, once you've arrived in Manchester, you will kind of all your life will be different and you will be sorted and you will start your life again. And I think a lot of them are hit by reality when they arrive that this is actually when the problems start, not when, when they finish, albeit problems of a different kind of kind of how you rebuild your life they they're often hit by the the reality that their english isn't good enough to help them get a job for example or study or even communicate effectively uh, with a job center or on the phone or something like that and that's something my experience in working with uh, refugees here the language is one of the biggest problems I mean I know it myself when I arrived to this country and I thought I'd done you know I'd studied some English uh, in Syria and I thought yeah my English is good and then you come here and you think yeah it's good when you're reading <laughs> the newspaper or when you're reading some medical journals but you really can't communicate very well with people and it it takes several years before you start to speak fluently so I think they're really a lot of them are highly educated and they come here and they think gosh I can't do anything so that that's one of the big challenges they go through a phase sometimes of kind of feeling you know now there is no risk to my life I can you know enjoy the peace I can enjoy the safety and the security and nobody is going to knock on my door at night or I'm not going to leave the house in the morning and worry about a bomb you know landing uh, on me or something like that but unfortunately that phase if you like doesn't last very long so something that's been called the honeymoon period when when refugees kind of leave the 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 war zone and come into safety uh, and very soon the problems the like I said the realization that you know there's a lot of problems here what have I come to my family are still in Syria um, I'm still worried about them I have no job my education in Syria was all for nothing because it doesn't count here I have to study again I have to think even of a change of career 
I have to support my family. So all these problems kind of start and, and you know, all sorts of other challenges that uh, are related to maybe children, their school, their education, uh, their health. And that's when we see a lot of when the mental health of, the, of those people start to suffer and um, they realize, you know, Britain isn't just that kind of dream place that they've always wanted to be in. So they come to you or to rethink, rebuild for support. What what kind of support do you provide for them? Yeah, so so we um, we have done a lot of things over over the years um, through our um, refugee support office, but also through the organisation as a whole and through different kind of links and contacts that we have. But I mean, this support has ranged from even kind of financial support to. Um, helping people with their applications, especially the reunion applications. That's been one of the biggest things for people. Because so sorry, what, what's a reunion application? Yeah, so what, what often happens is a young man, male refugee, come to uh, Britain somehow, lands in Britain, and then they want to bring their family over. So once they've got their own asylum approved, then their next challenge is to bring their family over to the UK uh, from Syria, or from Lebanon or from... Jordan and that is often a very long and protracted and complex process that really somebody who speaks very little English will find traumatizing in itself and what we often we do is we sit with them I don't do that personally but the the, the friends at the organization kind of sit with them and do the application for them and speak on the phone on their behalf and really give them all sorts of kind of helpful hints and tips to make that application process easier for them but also to make their chance of getting it approved significantly higher so that's one of the biggest support uh, aspects of support that we've uh, we've given to people we've organized english courses for for people as well for refugees we've organized gatherings where they get to meet with each other and with some of the older, in inverted commas, kind of refugees, I mean the ones who have been here before, from 2011, but also meet with a lot of Syrians who happened to be here before 2011 and kind of learn from them and picking up things. In this way, you're really helping people to build on other people's experiences and kind of benefit from other people's experiences uh, because everyone kind of goes through a very similar process when they come to a different country to do with adjustment, to do with rebuilding their life, of course, if you're a refugee, there are added challenges to that. My life, my rebuilding my life when I came to the UK, you could say, was much easier than if I happened to be a refugee who'd uh, been forced out of the country. Uh, I chose to come to come here, even though you would say if Syria was in a better position when I left, I would have stayed if I was able to live more freely in Syria. But But the point I'm making is that yeah, refugees have a set of challenges that they come with uh, and they face here that maybe if they were not refugees uh, that just came by choice, the, the, these challenges wouldn't be there. So, yeah, so we provide kind of, um, again, a space for them to learn from each other, to meet with each other, to really realize that I'm not alone in this and that there is help available as well. Uh, we give them a lot of information about the services within the UK. One of the things we did, for example, I was involved in uh, personally, is to organise for child social workers to come and talk to us as refugee families about what you can and can't do with your child. And that the main aim of that was 
beyond, of course, giving information was really to kind of avoid the maybe the um, preventable uh, position where you end up with a child being sadly taken away from his or her uh, family because somebody coming from Syria did not realize that actually you can't, for example, leave your child unattended when they're under a certain age or you can't hit your child, you can't shout at them or whatever. And, you know, let's remember these refugees have come from a situation from circumstances that can only be described as violent. So violence had been part of their existence for a number of years and coming here and you're saying, you know, you've got to practice self-restraint and you're not to shout at your child and all this. So it was a really helpful thing to, to get people from local authority here to say, you know, this is what you can and can't do. So this is a part of maybe a group of things that we do for refugees, which is about helping them adjust in this country and learn more about this country's system and way of, of living uh, so that they don't run into unhelpful consequences or, 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 or problems. And so now, now that uh, Rethink Rebuilds have been running for several years and you, you've seen refugees perhaps begin to settle in Manchester, what, in your experience, are the, some of the key things that enable people to settle or readjust um, as well as possible? I think having a community that they can, uh, that th they have a sense of belonging to, I think, just like I was saying about myself, I think certainly... Rethink Rebuild as an organization, but it maybe even as what it does in terms of creating that space for people, whether it's a physical space or whether it's through even contacting people as groups on Facebook, on WhatsApp. Refugees, I think, are getting a sense that there is a community here that I'm part of. Like I said, I'm not alone. They come here, for example, at the Eid uh, recently, at the end of Ramadan. There was a big fun day for Syrians and that was attended by several hundreds of families from Manchester and from surrounding areas and towns. And people found it a great opportunity to just meet and get to know each other and to eat food and to maybe even do things that they used to do in Syria. There's a sense of kind of nostalgia there as well, but at the same time, a feel of enjoying their Syrian-ness, if you like, again, uh, amongst people, uh, like-minded people from Syria. And like I say, you know, getting to, to talk and know each other. There was these kind of meals that we organized during Ramadan as well, especially for men who've arrived to this country, single men who maybe come here and they might feel isolated or alone. What we do for them is we say you can come and eat Arabic food and again, you know, mix with and talk to each other and feel that sense, especially in Ramadan where somebody is fasting very long hours. It's a really nice feeling to, to think that there are other people doing it as well in Britain and get to know them a bit a bit better. So I think that sense of belonging to this bigger thing within the wider community of Britain, but kind of belonging to a smaller Syrian community, I think that really makes people feel much, much better. Most people listen to this uh, won't be refugees, but they, mm. they might know of refugees within their own community. What kind of things would you recommend to them if they want to help or support refugees where they live well get to know them really talk to them I'm, I'm involved currently actually in a piece of work on health needs assessment uh, for refugees in Lancashire 
this is a formal project that we're working on. And the thing that I keep getting from refugees who I've interviewed and talked to as part of this project is our neighbors say hi, but not anything beyond that. They're nice enough, they're kind, but really they almost don't want to know. And I think this is this is very interesting because I think British people are very kind and very nice. And maybe they feel that they're respecting you and your personal space when they don't approach you. But this is not the same as what Syrians have been used to back home. You know, it's very it's it's often enough to meet somebody in the street for you to invite them to your house within a few minutes and have dinner with them and then invite them next week for cup of tea or take them to the cafe or whatever so they really appreciate it when people talk to them and really be interested in getting to know them as individuals beyond the fact that they're refugees or whether they're on benefits or whether they speak or don't speak English or whatever just kind of get to know them as as individuals like you because I think although a lot of them come to terms with the fact that they are refugees the majority want to be seen as um, human beings and you know I'm just like you one of them I met for again a piece of work I did on refugees and if you look at him you might think you know he's just an ordinary person doesn't strike you as anything special and then you get talking to him and you you realize he had a big business in Syria and he was very successful I mean unfortunately he lost it all but Again, when you talk to him a bit more, you realize the amount of resilience that this man has. In fact, my research, interestingly, was about resilience. But you realize how much resilience and energy and, and, and how dynamic this man is and how in, he's still kind of thinking, OK, how can I restart this business? What can I do to rebuild my life here? He's still got his focus on his children's life. And he would say, you know, I want to focus on kind of making sure that my children get the best education here but at the same time he's still kind of looking here and there to think what can I do to restart my business I'm a business person and you know you like I said if you just see them from a distance just saying hi to them when you come out of your house or whatever you're not going to get a real sense of what this this person is uh, is about just finally what are your future plans for the rethink rebuild society Right, so, so one of the things that we are currently working on is this festival for Syrian arts and culture, which we called uh, Celebrating Syria Festival. Now, this is 2018 will be the second year of this festival. Now, we started it last year in July, and we're going to repeat it this year in uh, October. And this was, uh, last year was a very great success of kind of presenting Syrian arts and culture to both to kind of the, the wide British audience, but also to Syrian people here, connecting Syrian people with each other, uh, bringing them some of the culture, the music, the arts that they loved, and again, reconnecting them with, with Syria in a way, albeit in Manchester, but also con um introducing Syrian arts and culture to to British people and really showing people that Syria is far more than uh, what we hear on the news in terms of war and violence and extremism, sectarianism and all that. There is a lot of heritage and history and culture in Syria that unfortunately 
over the last few years has been overshadowed by the bad news. It's very sad that uh, news media kind of often tell us the bad news about a country that they they very rarely tell us about the good things about this country. So what we did last year is we brought well a big group of uh, artists from often UK based and and Europe based um, artists and musicians and filmmakers and different people to to present their work at this festival which happened in Manchester uh, in various venues and like I said this was a great uh, success the feedback we got from especially from British audience but also from uh, Syrian community here was very very positive and very supportive and inspired us to uh, make this an annual event so this year we've got a lovely program that's uh, that we're going to implement um, of the festival between the 6th and the 14th of October in Manchester and again there will be a lot of music and film and theatre and exhibitions and books and all sorts of uh, interactive arts workshops and again this has been one way of re-engaging people uh, Syrian people here doing something meaningful and and uh, beautiful as well but also linking Syrians with their British host community for want of a better word so one of the biggest concerts we did last year had about 300 people in the audience in a church in uh, here in South Manchester where you saw Syrian people dancing and uh, singing and being happy along with uh, British people also enjoying that kind of eastern musical atmosphere if you like and being introduced to it and that was a very beautiful uh, scene to to witness Certainly, it was very, very touching to see for me, even though I, I organized it myself. So it was, yeah, it was fantastic. And hopefully we will see a lot of that this year in October. One, one of the things we did is we made all the events of last year's uh, festival free for all refugees and asylum seekers from all nationalities and backgrounds. And we thought this is just very little contribution to the cause, if you like. And... Um, because we wanted refugees and asylum seekers to feel, again, to feel welcome and to feel supported and to feel valued. That was Mustafa Alachkar. And if you want to know more about the Rethink Rebuild Society or get involved in some of their activities, then please do visit their website, rrsoc.org. And that's it for this month. As ever, I'd love your feedback or ideas for a future podcast. You can email me, jake at arukanetwork.org. Until next time, bye for now.